following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, it is the uh, first Sunday in Lent. Last week we had a uh, week where we did some preparations for the season of Lent, which began on Wednesday. Did anybody go on Wednesday, by the way, to Community of the Savior for the Ash Wednesday service? What's that? Autumn was the only one who went there. That's okay. Well, the pause is not because I'm disappointed in you. It's because I can't get the microphone to sit in the right spot. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, Lent began on Wednesday, whether you observed it or not, Um, and uh, we are continuing now... uh, starting today, the first Sunday in Lent, even though we kind of cheated a little bit and gave it a, a kickstart last week. So during Lent, we're going to be doing a couple of different things. One is that, uh, as you can probably see, uh, we're returning to the book of John. And as I sort of joked last week, we have been section hiking through the Gospel of John for a couple of years now. Are you familiar with section hiking? You do the Appalachian Trail a little bit at a time because you can't do all 2,100 miles in a, in a summer because you have like a job or a, a kid or school or something. Um, but you do a little bit at a time, and that's kind of how we're approaching John. And as you'll see, it, um, it kind of gives us a, um, a couple of obstacles in how we understand the text, because we do miss out on some of the flow. Um, so each week, and this is the second thing we're doing during Lent, uh, I'm asking you to participate in this uh, praxis, this spiritual discipline that may be new to you, called scribing. Um, I introduced this last week. Scribing is sort of a clever, trans, uh, or a clipped form of the word transcribing, right? which is what um, cloistered uh, Christians did all day long. Uh, in other words, nuns and, and monks in the early times, before the printing press, they would just transcribe Scripture all day, every day. And that was what they did. And, and one of the reasons was because it's a great way to be shaped by the words of Scripture, which is, of course, what we're endeavoring to do and be. But uh, it also had the practical result of providing those people with their own copies of Scripture, which we have essentially endless copies of in our um, present-day culture, post-printing press and all that stuff. We uh, literally just give them away every week here. Uh, by the way, if you see a red Bible and you don't own a Bible, you can take one. Um, looks like this one right here. Um, so it ha- it's, a, it's a discipline that has a long tradition in Christian observance. Um, but many of you have never done this before. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is to look ahead, find our website, or read the e-news, and find the text in John that we will be using in the coming week, and simply transcribe some or all of that passage, um, copying the words from the printed page or the glowing rectangle, uh, into, onto a piece of paper. Use your own hand. I'm not talking about uh, dictation. <laughs> um, this is scribing. You like that? <laughs> so uh, I know that last week was really awful weather, and a lot of you weren't able to make it this, the, uh, last week, so you, many of you are hearing this for the first time, but some of you were here. I wonder if any of you had, uh, were able to give this a go this week. Can you... Okay, so there's a, a number of you who tried this. Um, 
Would anybody willing to be willing to share what your experience was with that? And now it could be anything from my goodness that was boring to I had the deepest spiritual insight I've had in years. Um, anybody or anything in between? I'm curious. This maybe help your friends um, be encouraged or something. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Did you all hear that? Um, that's a wonderful thing to have uh, undertaken and attempted to do the entire gospel during Lent. Half a chapter a day seems very reasonable until you start writing it by hand. <laughs> um, which is why I said last week, and I'll repeat it now, one verse equals success. If you sit down on a day and do one verse, I want you to consider that a success because it is a time-intensive discipline. And um, so, yeah, uh, by all means, do more than a verse if you have time, but I, don't, I want you to consider it a success if you manage to do one verse. Who else, real quickly, maybe one or two, depending on how wordy the first person is. Uh, yeah, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. So doing one verse a day actually um, slows the story down quite a lot, doesn't it? Interesting. So you had a cliffhanger every day, you said. That's cool. One other person who tried this, uh, I'd love to hear your experience. Yes, Del. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you. S- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. It definitely forces you to deal with the statements a little bit more directly when you're at that at that pace. Um. I think the lesson is there that we could learn a lot about all kinds of things in life if we slow down a little bit. Um, thank you. And I would encourage all of you to try this. You don't have to have a fancy notebook, although, Dell, did you use your fancy moleskin to do this? All right. If you weren't here last week, Dell won a prize. She won a prize for being able to um, tell us the, uh, our, our thematic thread for the year, which is what? Shaped by the words, right. Uh, and so she got a fancy little moleskin journal, and uh, uh, isn't that pen cool? Yeah, yeah. And Jenny won a t-shirt last week, by the way. We do have these t-shirts, um, which I'll just show you really briefly. I don't want to get off track too much here. But um, this is our commemorative 10th anniversary t-shirt, right? Beautiful, isn't it? And it's so soft, you could curl up under it and fall asleep. It's so wonderful. Um, and it's a little trendy. It's got that kind of self-print here. But I really want you to notice the, the values underneath. As I said last week, this is what we're celebrating. 10 years of awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. 10 years of 
being a place where we encounter God, embrace people, and engage culture in the way of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating a decade of, and that's what we're looking ahead to do in our next decade. And if uh, we, we are given time past that, that's what we'll do in the third decade. That is the vision that God gave us when we started Artisan Church, and that's what's pushing us through uh, each day, each week, each month, each year. Um, we will have uh, these and the, and the corresponding hoodies for sale after the service. Um, the prices are there and so forth, but... Um, so we're getting back into John that's our sermon and um, worship goal is to to get back into John and then our individual personal spiritual discipline praxis goal is to be scribing from the book of John and if you um, prefer you could use those penitential psalms that James referred to earlier and uh, those are pretty powerful texts as well Okay, um, could I ask you, if you are the type who likes to follow along, to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 21, which on the Red Bibles is found on page 870. If you brought your own, I cannot help you with the page number, but usually people who bring their own Bibles to church know how to find the Gospel of John. (laughs) There's no shame in not knowing it, by the way. Shame is uh, of the devil. (laughs) You don't want to be ashamed of anything that you do in Scripture. You don't want to be ashamed that you don't understand it. You don't want to be ashamed that you don't believe all of it. You don't want to be ashamed that you can't find Hezekiah because it's not in there. <laughs> right? You want to be shaped by the words of Scripture, and uh, you, can, you can experience that at any level. Right? So... Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my experience with this text this week. As I said, it was already going to be interesting. I, um, I read this text over and over and over again, struggling and fighting and wrestling and trying to find anything that I could take from it to share with you this morning that was sensible or insightful or had a point. <laughs> and I just tried and tried and tried, and I, I used all my pastor tricks, and um, I was getting nowhere. I really was just getting nowhere. Um, Until late last night when I think I had something uh, of an insight, but I have to confess that it happened after I tromped through uh, thigh-deep snow for an hour trying to help the water tech get the water connected to the building, so it might have just been brain freeze. Um, But I will... um, endeavor to share that with you this morning, and then uh, uh, hopefully it'll be worth our time together. (laughs) Um, Let me read this whole passage, and then I'll kind of go back and go through it a, a bit at a time. John 8, 21 through 30. Again, he said to them, I am going away, and you will search for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then the Jews said, is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by saying, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, why do I speak to you at all? I have much to say about you and much to condemn, 
But the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So, let's go back to the top there and um, we'll just kind of go through it a little bit at a time and see what happens. Starts out by saying, again, he said to them, this is, I don't think, just a, a linguistic device. I think it's actually indicating that he's repeating himself here. Um, now, it was back in the, end, in the middle-ish to the end of chapter 7 that Jesus said some of these same things again, uh, or, or the first time, and now he's saying them again. We lose the continuity uh, for two reasons. One is that when we looked at John 7, it was probably um, July of last year, <laughs> maybe even in the prior time we ran through John. I don't quite remember. It's been a long time. And then secondly, you have this thing in the beginning of chapter 8, which is in your Bibles, is all bracketed off because it wasn't in the original manuscripts. Uh, it's that beautiful story about the woman caught in adultery, and he tells them who was out without sin can throw the first stone at her, and they all disappear. And he, she says, Where, there's no one condemning you? And she says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Um, now go on your way, and, and from now on, don't sin anymore. Um, but that, that beautiful story is actually discontinuous with the rest of what's happening in John's gospel. So uh, if you remove that, it's, it's likely to me that the, the flow was intended to be um, from the end of chapter 7 right through to 8, verse 12, um, which probably would help us get that continuity again. But he's saying again, he said to them, because just a, in, just a little bit ago, he said some similar things. Um, Jesus in 728 you know me you know where I'm from I have not come on my own the one who sent me is true and you do not know him Um, I'll be with you a little while longer than I'm going to him who sent me verse 33 you'll search for me but you will not find me where I am you cannot come he said all those things in chapter 7 and then he's saying it again here so that's why it says again he said to them And, of course, the, the, the people that John describes as the Jews, which is not really a, a way of describing a group of people that we would use necessarily today, unless we were um, being anti-Semitic, but that's really not the, the way the tone is supposed to read here. They don't understand what he's saying. Let me jump ahead to 24 here. I told you you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins, unless you believe that I am He. Now, what the Greek text actually says there is, unless you believe that I am. Right. Uh, so you can, A, you can probably excuse them a little bit for what they say next, which is like, you are what? <laughs> Surely you might not be making a play on the Hebrew name for God. You would not, of course, be doing that, right, Jesus? So tell us what you really mean. Who are you really? <laughs> And then he says, this was my favorite verse uh, in, the, in the passage until I did a little research on it. But what he says is, why do I speak to you at all? 
That's the NRSV translation, but most of the other translations don't do that. They say something like, just as I've been telling you from the beginning, it turns out that that's a really strange phrasing in the Greek, which I'm uh, terrible at Greek, so I, I don't really want to go any further into it than that. But it, it, maybe that's what he meant, maybe not. I kind of like the slightly sarcastic Jesus, but I come from uh, New England where you know, sarcasm is like a spiritual gift. Um, <clears throat> why do I speak to you at all? <laughs> Sounds like the kind of thing I might say to um, some of my children, one of whom is in the room right now, but I would never say it to you, Abel. I'm really just speaking about your brother, but don't tell him I said that. <laughs> And then he goes on to this in verse 26. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but, but, what a beautiful little word in this sentence. The word but is a small word, right? And by the way, if you want to giggle about the word but, go ahead. Here's your chance. Pee-wee's Big Adventure right? Everybody I know has a big butt. Can we talk about your big butt? Right. Um, maybe I'm just too old and you don't understand the, the hilarity of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but that's okay. We'll show it to you later. Maybe, uh, maybe an artisan film series on <laughs> such things. But you could make a really fun game out of finishing sentences that have the word butt in the middle, right? You could all finish this sentence, right? I love you, but what comes next? I'm not in love with you, right? The most cliche, lame breakup line in history. I love you, but, right? Let's agree, shall we, not to put the word but after the phrase I love you? Or here's my favorite one. Love the sinner, but hate the sin, right? I wish we could just put that one up on a dusty shelf and never touch it again. Let's not put the word but after statements about our love for people, right? This would be a fun game, right? I thought he was really smart, but... (laughs) It was like Balderdash or one of those games where you have to finish things out. In this context... I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but, I like the word but there. I also like it in in John 3, John 3, 17, which is every bit as beautiful as John 3, 16, if you ask me. It just doesn't get held up at football games. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to, oh, there's the word again, to condemn the world. But, in order that the world might be saved through him, I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. There is much that Jesus could condemn in the lives of these Jewish followers and in our own lives, but, he says, God is true. It might be helpful to think about um, the word truth as that older English variation, troth. What does it mean to pledge your troth to somebody? Well, it means to pledge your truth, but in that context it means to pledge fidelity, loyalty. It indicates trustworthiness and 
um, if you'll permit me to go a little further from the dictionary, it, it, it sort of implies and connotes safety. And this is what Jesus is saying about the Father. You know I could condemn you, but God is true. God pledges his troth to us. And then he says, I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Whatever truth is in God, whatever safety and peace and love and fidelity and trustworthiness is in God, Jesus expresses it to the world. As I said last week, Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. He is, if you're thinking Greek-like, He's the great logic of God. And if you're thinking Hebrew-like, He's the great Torah of God. He's the Word of God made into human form. Jesus is what God has to say. That song that we just sang was a prayer to that effect. Anything I can't understand in the Scriptures, anything that gives me heartache, if I line it up and look at it through Jesus, it doesn't always, it's not an instant cure, but it helps orient me to what I believe is happening in the universe, which is God coming near to us, living among us, Jesus is what God has to say. And here's, here's what I landed on last night, which I think is really fascinating. I'm going to give you the first part of verse 27 and then skip to the last verse of the passage, which is verse 30. And I want you to see what happens here because it's really kind of mind-blowing if you, if you look at it. Verse 27 begins this way. They did not understand. I'm going to put a little ellipsis there after that phrase. They did not understand, and yet what happens at the end? Many believed in him. They did not understand, yet many believed in him. And here's where it hit me between the eyes like the stones that David picked up and flung into Goliath's head, right? By the way, how many stones did David pick up? Five. How many books in the law, in the Torah, right? What does Torah say you're supposed to do with God's Word and the law? Where's it supposed to go, right? He picked up five even though he only needed one. (laughs) Why did he pick up five? I think it's because he's putting Torah right where, right where it belongs on Goliath's body. <laughs> anyway, um, that's not original to me. I borrowed that from my friend that I met in uh, Denver a couple weeks ago. But it was so awesome, I had to share it with you. So this is, where, this is what hit me. I've been struggling with this passage all week. I did not understand what, what was going on with it. I felt a little vindicated when I tried to look for it in the lectionary, wherever it appears in the three-year cycle, so that maybe I could look at the other texts that are assigned and make some sense of it, but it's not used in the lectionary because the people who wrote the lectionary apparently don't want to address it either. (laughs) This passage from John never gets read if you do the lectionary. For three straight years, you'll get almost all of Scripture, but you won't get this passage from John. 
I did everything I could. I did not understand it. I did not understand. They did not understand. Yet many of them believed. I didn't understand. And yet I believed. I don't understand why some parts of the Old Testament are so violent. I don't understand how the biblical authors could say that God ordered the slaughter of entire races of people, entire cities, men and women, and children and animals and everything. I don't understand how it can be that sometimes the history gets told one way and then you read a different book and it gets told another way. I don't understand how anybody can believe any of this some days. And yet I do. They did not understand, and yet they came to believe. It is, in my opinion one of the most dangerous lies that we tell each other in church, that you have to understand everything before you can believe it. That is such a lie. It's like saying you have to understand brush technique to appreciate Van Gogh. It's like saying you have to know all the brain chemistry (laughs) that goes into what we feel when we love somebody in order to accept their love. It's like saying you have to know what every word of a Shakespearean sonnet means to find it beautiful. No, those words just sing at you. You might not even never heard them before. (laughs) Certainly not in that order. It's beautiful. By the way, today's sermon was titled like an untitled sonnet. Um, you know, if you, if you don't have a title of the sonnet, uh, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Let's just call it that. It's the first line, right? Um, uh, the, what, was the, what did they title this one today? Where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm not talking about that at all. Uh, I just titled these like weeks ago, and I thought, oh, that's the first turn of phrase in the scripture passage that seems like it might be where I talk. I don't know. Uh, so it's titled like a sonnet. I apologize if you're really a stickler for that kind of thing. I probably should have retitled it, but I didn't even bring my notes, so you can't really hold me to it. Um, <laughs> it is such a lie to say that you have to understand every little thing, every little part of it. You have to, you have to just imprint it in your brain and be able to recite it and convince other people of it before you can take it into your heart and let it change you. That is one of the most dangerous lies that we tell each other in church. And let's be honest about how many lies we tell each other in church. How are you doing today? Good. (laughs) Peace be with you. Right? What happens between they did not understand and many came to believe? Let's look at it, because I think this is, this is the key. This is the unveiling. This is the combination to the lock. <clears throat> they didn't understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you, have, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, 
then you will realize that I am. Again, it's the same thing. And that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. As he was saying those things, many believed in him. What is Jesus talking about? I wonder when he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. The cross. Do you remember in John 3? This was a long time ago, but maybe you've read it. Maybe you're familiar with the story when he's talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who needs to come to him under the cover of night so that his, his colleagues don't see him talking to this rebel rabbi. One of the things he says to him is, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's referring to that story in the Exodus narrative where the Israelites are wandering and they have this plague of venomous serpents who are biting people and they're dying. And uh, the Lord gives Moses the way to solve this. He says, cast a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and stand it up in the middle of the community. And whenever anyone is bitten, that person should look up to the pole and he'll be healed of the poison. Jesus connects this to himself in talking to Nicodemus when he says, just as that pole was lifted up in the wilderness, saving people from the bite of the serpent, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he says it again here. He's going to say it again in John 12. We probably won't get that until our third decade, but he's going to say it again, I promise, and I will try to remember to call it back. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am He, that I am, that I am God. See, it's in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that we are somehow, mysteriously, even though we sometimes don't even believe they happened, to get from they didn't understand to they came to believe. In the crucifixion, we have God made man submitting himself to a humiliating death at the hands of the greatest evils in the world, those twin great evils of religion and empire. The religious authorities and the nation state put Jesus to death. Let us not be too quick to place our trust in the 21st century version of the religious authorities and the Roman Empire. He submits himself to the deepest evil in the world. And then, the miracle of Easter is that God shows himself not only to be true and troth and trustworthy, but more powerful than the world's greatest evils in reversing the evil that they had done against his son. It is somehow the great mystery of faith that though we are challenged perhaps most of all by the resurrection, it is the one that helps us get over our doubts the best. Our faith is in the God made into a person who rather than conquering things the way we might have wanted him to, rather than going all Russell Crowe on the world, (laughs) 
submitted himself to death. There's our model. There's our counterintuition. There's our key to understanding. When you have lifted the Son of Man up, then you will come to believe that I am He. That's about as far as I got. <laughs> but it felt like enough for me. Um, and and my, my personalized version of this story is that in my many struggles with doubt in my own faith, it is Jesus who I can't seem to let go of because apparently He is not interested in letting go of me. The crucified God offers Himself to you as well. And I want to invite you now as absolutely as a response to hearing the word proclaimed such as it was to come to Christ's table. It is to his own broken body and shed blood that he invites all of you. Will you allow me to do so on his behalf? I often say this is the table not of the church but of the Lord. If you are looking for a place to to put your trust, I would suggest that maybe you could remember the crucifixion. Maybe you could remember God making Himself lowly and weak, submitting Himself humbly to a humiliating death at the hands of the world's greatest evil, and placing your trust in Him because that is what God has to say. Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection is what God has to say. And you can literally take that into your bodies now. We're going to sing some more together. But I want to invite all of you who are seeking to follow Jesus. And can I say all of you who are seeking to follow Jesus, whether you think you belong here or not, whether you, whether you can memorize the Apostles' Creed or not, whether you even believe every single letter of it when we say it together or not, all of you who are seeking to follow Jesus, the Word made flesh, I want you here. He wants you here at His table. And it's open for you. Uh, Come and receive. Tear off the bread. Remember His body broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice. Please choose what would be more appropriate for you and your family. Uh, Remember His blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That we might not, as He warned, die in our sin. Take it also as an act of community with each other. That is, after all, where the name comes from, communion. Not only with each other, but with our brothers and sisters around the city who may be celebrating communion this morning or whenever they do it in their liturgical cycle. With our brothers and sisters all around the world who observe this sacrament and throughout the history of Christendom. Come and receive food for your souls. The table is open. Let's continue to worship Him together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.